podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. And we're back, the single greatest K-State fan for the fan, by the fan, everything fan podcast is back. It's your favorite guys, the Bosco's boys. It is me, Scott Wildcat, and Grant is on the other end. Grant, I don't know about you, but I've had a fun time doing this opposing fan series. What we have on today's pod, not only are we going to be continuing the opposing fan series, but we're going to kick it off with Derek Young of K-State Online, our good friends at K-State Online. He's going to give us a quick recap of this past week's Big 12 Media Days. And if you stick around, if he's super nice, we might get to hear a little bit about K-State's first basketball commit of the 2019 recruiting class. After we do talk to him, we will dive right into our fan series. And, uh, you know, I think we have... I think we have three good ones lined up. We haven't quite, we haven't done the interviews yet, but uh, we have some good guests lined up, and I think they're going to be fun. But before any of that, we have a much-awaited, a much-teased giveaway. <laughs> Grant, tell all the boneheads out there what we're giving away and how they can get entries into our drawing. All right. Hey, before I touch on the giveaways and before I do that, I just want to touch on one thing. We want to apologize for our really shit uh, audio quality that we had in the last couple of episodes. Um, You know, it's a combination of us being stupid and not doing the basics right and also having kind of crappy equipment. So we're working on it, I promise. Um, We've got some some good equipment coming, and it's going to get much better soon. Now, let's get into the giveaways. So what we have to give away, we have two tickets to the UTSA game, two tickets to the USD game, one tank top, three koozies, and uh, the first winner gets first pick. Criteria for that, um, if if you want to, well, first one being uh, one entry for sending a screen grab of being subscribed to the podcast, whether that be what, probably on iTunes, I would say, Scott. <laughs> yep, then, it has, um, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if there's a subscription function on any other format. I don't, I don't think there is. One entry for following our Twitter account, which is at Bosco's Boys on Twitter. One entry for retweeting the episode, any new episode. Actually, it'd be this new episode. And then... Uh, possibly probably, the next one. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, possibly. We don't know uh, how long this is going to run for, but uh, we might draw on uh, August August 1st for those entries. And where can they where can they do this, Scott? Where can they submit these things? Well, you, you forgot one other way to get an entry. Oh, if right, you also sorry. send us a screen grab of a five-star review, not just a five-star rating, oh, type in a review, and that's for all of you on uh, Apple. Uh, five-star review, subscription, following on Twitter, and retweeting uh, show episodes. Also on Twitter, Currently, as we record, there is a picture of the super sexy lavender 
tank top. It's a pocket tee or a pocket tank with our logo on it. Uh, We will tweet out pictures of the koozies when they arrive. Uh, So that's how you're going to enter for the screen grabs. As you said it, Bosco's boys pod at gmail.com. We'll have all of this in the description of this episode. Also, if you're going to leave a five-star review, write a little review for us. It's funny. I like reading this. Yep, uh, <laughs> that that's what we need to see. Also, if you are not an Apple user, I understand that it uh, is a little more difficult for you to put a review in. Uh, so I'll I'll cha- I'll do this as well for non-Apple users. I, I'm making this up literally on the fly. If you send me a screen grab of you sending a text message to at least five of your contacts with a link to our podcast, you have to show me that you hit send, and they also have to be real contacts. I need to see names. I need to see replies. If you want to send a screen grab of that as well, I will give you an entry. Also, if you have already done a five-star review, which a lot of you have, you don't have to redo it. You don't miss out. Just go back and send me a screen grab of it, and you will get entered. Also, if you're already following us on Twitter, guess what? You're going to be entered. So we, we really want to have fun with this. We want a lot of interaction. We will pimp this out on Twitter. Uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, those are those tickets are also going to be lower level. Have not received the tickets from the K-State ticket office yet. We will let you know the section as soon as we do. Chances are we will do the drawing before they're sent in, but they are lower-level tickets. Uh, and it's going to be a great time. We're trying to give back and have a little fun with all you guys. It's You guys have been great fans, and uh, the interaction we've had on Twitter uh, and sliding in the DMs, it's, it's, it's blown me away. It's been more than I could ever expect it. Yeah, it's been really fun. Um, thanks, guys, for all that you've done. We're going to try to keep pumping out good content, and we're going to fix our sound. That's for sure. Yep, and uh, hopefully one day we'll also figure out how to do perfect Skype interviews, just like they do it in the big leagues. But until then, uh, fare with us, and unless there's anything else, let's kick it to our interview with Derek Young of K-State Online. And we're finally getting the great Derek Young of KSO to join us. He was preceded by a whole episode of Matt and Flando, so you're probably going to have to jump on with us a couple more times to make up for that. But, uh, Derek, how are you doing on this Sunday? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, perfect. We'll dive right in. And uh, since Grant and I couldn't get down to media days, even though it sounds like after – testing the waters i probably would have been able to get us credentialed and in there so maybe that might be something we do last year but give us just something that was surprising you heard from the k-state contingency or uh, just something that you uncovered that maybe you didn't know before you went down there to frisco texas uh, for the casual fan it would probably be that you know offensive lineman i think it's redshirt freshman josh rebos is definitely in contention to be one of the starting guards this season we had uh, shared on KSO before that it was, you know, a, definitely a possibility. But hearing just Bill Snyder talk about it specifically kind of put more light and made me think that it could be even, uh, you know, more likely uh, at either guard position, really. 
fan that you know, sorry not not necessarily is a, maybe a bit more casual it just might be the fact that Bill Snyder you know revealed to me anyway when I spoke to him that they could have as many as eight offensive linemen that he might be comfortable with starting right now which is you know kind of shows you the depth of the position probably something that they didn't have a year ago and then in general the red shirt role or just Bill Snyder's approach to it um, he's not crazy about it says it probably won't change his approach uh, at all to what he's going to do with his football team, but maybe something that he uses at the end of the season, which is what I thought if they did use it, how they would use it anyway. It's good to hear that we have some real quality depth at that position. I mean, we have one of the better lines, if not the best line in the conference, but we've really struggled in the last few years with injuries kind of all over the place. So it's nice to know that if we have some key injuries, we can slot some dudes in. Yeah, I agree. You know, having offensive line depth is one of the better spots to have it. And, uh, you know, even when you have maybe the best offensive lineman in the Big 12 in Reisner, knowing that you have a big group behind them makes me feel a lot more confident for even next year when some of those big guys step away. Yeah, that's the big thing because they're going to lose, you know, at least two starters from this year's offensive line. And if there was going to be a, a new starter um, replacing one of the five starters that they returned, I would have thought it would have been Nick Kaltmeyer because he, he played pretty well in his spot duty when, uh, you know, a starter went down or, you know, when he played for Dalton Reisner in the bowl game. But to know it's Joshua Rivas now that's actually maybe pushing the most, pushing the starters the most, then you got someone on the outside and someone on the inside that could come in at any time, which is – Probably pretty comforting for Bill Snyder and company. Yeah. Aside from the line, um, are there any other position battles on across the team that stick out to you? Have you learned anything from being there that that might change your mind and who may win some of those battles initially? Different from what you might have thought. Yeah, I mean, everyone wants to talk about the quarterback position. Obviously, that's the most you know heated position battle on this team and probably the tightest. Uh, I really. Don't, I haven't really been comfortable with who naming who I thought was going to be the starter. I might have leaned towards Skylar Thompson throughout most of this offseason just because I think when you think of a quarterback, he's probably, you know, aligns himself closer to that type, even though Alex Dell might fit what Bill Snyder has chosen to do more often in the past few years. But just hearing that Alex Delton is a, was definitely voted a captain, and Skylar Thompson's probably captain too. But it sounds maybe Delton got you know a little bit more of the vote, or is a captain, and Skylar Thompson a co-captain. The way that Bill Snyder explained or you know stated it the first time during his uh, opening press conference, it definitely leads to the idea that you know at least even subconsciously Bill Snyder you know might be thinking Alex Delton fits the best at this point in time. Are there any of the other uh, position battles on defense that you might have gained a little insight on, like Nickelback, or if uh, any of the corners are really pushing in that secondary? Is that kind of status quo on how you guys entered the offseason? I think most everything on defense, at least in my mind, I don't know if we learned anything new from it while we were in Frisco, but I think that, you know, not that – these jobs are already won, but I think that the projected starters are 
you know, pretty self-explanatory at this point. I think, you know, A.J. Parker and Duke Jelly are going to be your corners, and Walter Meal will probably be the nickelback. If there's any change to that or any deviation, I would think Kevion McGee, their uh, new Juco edition, is probably the guy to monitor in terms of, you know, maybe being a surprise to, you know, winning one of those jobs. A linebacker, I definitely expect to be Elijah Sullivan and Daquan Patton. And defensive tackle, the number two spot behind with Trey Deshaun's probably open. But everything that I, I've learned in the past month or two definitely makes me believe it'll be Drew Wiley. Perfect. Really? Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Todd. No, I was just going to say, and that's been talked about on the boards there. So, uh, you know, all the everyone listening, if you haven't yet gotten on the KSO, a lot of this stuff, Derek and the crew has laid out. So I really hope that uh, – you guys understand what type of value they're bringing to their website. I'm going to move on a little bit from K-State. And, again, if anyone wants more of that media day coverage from you guys, hop on, subscribe. You guys pumped out, like, 32,000 pieces, I feel like, while you're down there. So there's so much stuff you guys can read if you hop on their website. But I do want to ask, while you were down there, was there anything from the Big 12 as a whole that you heard or saw that was super surprising? It could either – from the commissioner from any of the other nine schools? You know, nothing really, you know, I don't think is obvious. I don't think we really uncovered or found anything super surprising. I mean, we're free to discuss, you know, any of the, uh, you know, other position battles at other schools. But I thought the least the most intriguing thing to me was, you know, my interview with Ben Powers. And obviously uh, the Kansas uh, offensive lineman that plays for Oklahoma is probably going to be an all-conference selection. Very good player. But he definitely harbors some, I would say, ill will towards the in-state schools for how they recruited him when he was a high school player. You know, right or wrong, he he definitely has some, uh, I guess, some bitterness towards those programs, and he definitely put that on full display while we were in Frisco. And I think I think some of it might be a little bit contrived by him to find a little bit inner motivation. I don't think that he was as wronged as. He leads on, but it's definitely something that he wasn't shy from sharing. Yeah, that quote, I think it first (laughs) surfaced on Twitter by the college football Reddit, and then uh, it was maybe taken a little bit out of context, but it did seem that uh, the hostility was there. And I know that was surprising for me because you don't typically see that, at least at Big 12 media days. It might be a different story at the SEC but Big 12 media, media days, they usually are a little more buttoned up. Uh, when that happened, did that quote happen before you spoke with them, or did that quote spur you on to ask for an interview? Oh, uh, I mean, I asked him, you know, what it was like to be recruited by Bill Snyder, and that's what spearheaded it, really, because I was just trying to take a different angle for a story that I hope to do, you know, just on Kansas kids in general, and, and how it was, and he took it from there. Um, he said <laughs> Bill Snyder didn't recruit me. They didn't want me. Um, they didn't. They would, didn't even want me to visit. They didn't even want me to walk on. Which I think, you know, depending on who you ask, you, you know, you get two sides of the story on that kind of thing. And something I, you know, that I, you know, I was told to, you know, is like if he was from Oklahoma as a high schooler, um, you know, it's a fair question or something fair to speculate. Would he had harbored DOL towards Oklahoma and Oklahoma State since they probably would have recruited him in a similar fashion? 
It's really hard to believe that they don't want didn't want him to walk on for me. Yeah, and that I, seems. Yeah, I don't think that is um, terribly accurate. I think that they definitely were open to the idea of him walking on had he wanted to, but some of the background information that I've been able to, you know, obtain since that conversation was that, you know, Kansas State in ways, you know, had an opportunity for him to walk on, but they encouraged him that maybe going the junior college route would be better for him, which, you know, he may have misunderstood it or, you know, take it completely out of context and ran with it a different way. But it's definitely an interesting, you know, topic to discuss when, because, you can't really. I don't. Th- you you can ridicule or you can criticize Kansas State recruiting in ways, but criticizing them for overlooking kids in Kansas, I don't think is something that is fair to this staff. That's the one you know item in recruiting that I I don't think that they uh, fall short on. Yeah. So you and the boys have major major conference predictions as well as pretty much everyone else, Scott and I, and everyone that we've ever had on. Is there anything that you saw at the media days that might change your mind about how the conference will shake out? You know, I didn't have TCU playing for a Big 12 championship. I thought that they would get third when we went game by game as a staff at KSO when we were picking games. Um, Blindly, if we didn't go game by game to come out with records, like accurately, I probably would have just said, you know, Oklahoma, TCU, because that's probably the safe call. But I came out just the way the schedules are mapped out, Oklahoma and Texas. I think the schedule is pretty kind to Texas this year, but I still have TCU favorably well. But I think that is one school that if you're looking at someone that that might miss the mark this year, just judging from everything that I kind of gathered, and it's funny, I gathered it from Gary Patterson himself, is that they have far more holes to replace than maybe people are, um, you know, focusing on. They have an entire offense line to replace. And I don't, if there's a position group where I wouldn't want to, uh, replace an entire position group, it's probably the offensive line. Yeah, I agree. And uh, that, that's something that when I, th- I think either you tweeted or posted that, that's something that really opened my eye because I was very high on TCU and West Virginia. I was also, I am the band leader of the Texas's back crew. So I'm glad to hear that you're there with me. But uh, when I read that, and I really took a look at who all they lost from the offensive line that did really open your eyes and it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back uh, losing all those bodies. It'll, it'll be a tough job for Gary Patterson, something that I wasn't expecting him to have to deal with. Yeah. And the funny thing is, it's not just that, you know, they're replacing five guys, all five starters, four four of those five starters are going to be in NFL camps. So you are going to have a very difficult time. You're, you're, you're basically out of four, four out of the five guys, you have to replace NFL talent. That's just not simple to do. It's not easy to do, whether you're at Texas, Kansas State, whatever school it is. And TCU might re- recruit a little better in Kansas State, but they don't recruit like Texas. So it's still going to be pretty difficult to replace four NFL caliber pieces on your offensive line. Yeah, that that is, that is crazy. And you touched on their recruiting a little bit. And when we originally – taped this tease it was all the way at the beginning of the week when i thought a basketball uh commit was going to be announced uh for whatever reason that hasn't been announced but for anyone who is interested in that stay tuned to kso but we're not going to steal that young man's thunder and we're not going to steal premium information from your guys's website so without giving away anything to premium 
give us just, you know, one to two minutes on first the basketball recruiting search and how uh, Bruce and co are working to fill all those spots for the 2019 class. And then if you could also spend just a little bit of time also breaking down how the offseason recruiting has looked like on the football team as well. Yeah, on the basketball side, they're completely finished with 2018, going to, you know, kick back that one scholarship, save it for the 2019 class, which they would have liked to uh, filled it with one of the, you know, guys they were chasing, such as a Matthew Moyer or Kevin McCuller. Those two in particular, they chased really, really hard. And, uh, you know, fair or foul, they missed those. And you got to, uh, you know, opportunity love to do but at the same time they did bring in austin trice and sean williams so i don't know i think their batting average was still pretty well i mean they missed on some of the higher profile guys they wanted to finish with for the last scholarship so now they got an extra one for 2019 it's going pretty well uh you know they have a wide net um probably wider than about any other school and i think that's probably the case because they're trying to recruit at a higher level and it takes a little bit of extra work and you know, Kansas State's not been firmly entrenched at that level, you know, long enough for to just, you know, you know, cherry pick six guys and then chase those six guys and know you're going to come up before. It's not just going to happen for a school that hasn't, you know, recruited, you know, that caliber for long enough. But they're they're approaching that and they're, they're probably that's the goal of where they want to be at eventually. So it's a little bit harder to track because of all the prospects that you know, are kind of, they're in the mix with, uh, but, uh, you know, they, they're, they're going to have a commit. I don't know how soon it is going to be. Uh, I, I know it hasn't happened yet and I don't think there's any reason to worry that it won't, but I think at any moment now we'll be hearing something on that front. And as you said, you can learn a little, little bit more about that on KSO. And then, uh, as far as the rest goes, they're just trying to lock in the official visits to start closing on some of these 2019 targets that, in ways they've been chasing for, you know, multiple years. Some of these kids they've recruited for two or three years, and they're still sending out new offers. They uh, offered a new kid from Kansas City, Blue Valley uh, Northwest, and uh, Christian Braun, class of 2019, a uh, guy that they, they're recruiting to play the two position. Um, he'll be tough because he has a lot of uh, Missouri bloodlines, so I don't think they're a lock for him. But they got a few official visits kicked in, such as DJ Thorpe, from Texas, he'll play closer to the rim, probably a five. Um, his father is, you know, former NBA player Otis Thorpe, and then uh, guard Mario McKinney out of St. Louis. He'll be coming in for the Mississippi State game, and they hope to uh, have his AAU teammate EJ Liddell in tow with him. That one's not uh, locked down yet, but it's something that could certainly happen. Uh, the month of September will be big for Kansas State basketball recruiting. They'll, I imagine they'll have. Close to ten, maybe more, more than ten official visitors during that month. Uh, for football, it's kind of slowed down after three or four commits in June. I think it was. Uh, they're up to six commitments now. They do have a camp next month, and I think or next week, next weekend, that I think will bring a, maybe another new offer to possibly three, and hopefully they'll they can grab a commitment out of that. I think they'll be able to address the linebacker position perhaps a little further next weekend after they get to see some guys uh, live and in person and evaluate from that. Um, other than that, uh, they do. They are still working on a running back. That's the big uh, point of contention with the rest of this class. That's probably the biggest hole that's still 
tough because after this season, uh, you lose Justin Sullivan, you lose Dalton Warmack. There's only two running backs on the roster on scholarship, which is pretty crazy to think about. And that's best case scenario. It's not even if Alex Barnes blows up or anything of that sort. So yeah, yeah. looking forward and recruiting on the football side, they've, they've addressed most of their needs because it's not going to be a big class to begin with. But the one, you know, gaping hole left is definitely running back where I think they could sign as many as three guys. Yeah, so you say as many as three. Are they going to try to go three prep, or are they going to try to mix in a JUCO guy? Are they even going to be playing in the transfer market or all of the above? Uh, all the above is probably the correct answer. If they land three, they won't all three be prep. If they are, they probably weren't able to secure some of their targets, you know, at the JUCO or level or D1 transfer level, although – I'm not sure how much a D1 transfer really helps you if you have to sit out a year anyway. So I would imagine we see it. If I had to guess one junior college, two high school, maybe one junior college and one high school target. Perfect. Well, it sounds like a lot of stuff is going to be happening over at KSO. Uh, we, we, we love you guys. I'm glad to have gotten you on. So outside of just on K-State Online, the uh, Rivals Network, where can all of our listeners find you on uh, Twitter.com? Uh, just uh, the at the Young Rivals. And, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. Always, you know, willing to come on whenever. I'll do it every day if I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And uh, hopefully uh, the next time we have you on, maybe we'll meet up at a, one of our favorite breweries. We'll sit down, and Grant and I are working on getting our own little uh, mixer. We are very jealous of Flando when we got to tape with him. So we're trying to get a good piece of equipment ourselves. So the next time we do it, I'll, uh, we'll meet up and we'll do it in person instead of over Skype. Again, thanks for coming on. And uh, again, anyone who, uh, who hasn't yet, you have to check them out at KSO. It's for my money, the only spot for premium case information uh, and, you know, tell your friends and all that jazz. Thanks again. And I uh, look forward to having you on again. Thank you getting more and more comfortable in this defense and making his presence known. Waters back in at quarterback on third and 15. Throwing down the seam. Got him in. Touchdown, Tyler Lockett. The Wildcats are on the board. All right, Boneheads, we are back with our season preview series. We're kicking off Big 12 play, and I have the pleasure of talking to one of my single favorite people I've ever interacted with on the Internet. Uh, Grant's not here, so it's just me and one of my favorite people. I'm going to let him introduce himself, and then we're going to kick this thing off. Well, my name is Coleman Mullins. Uh, also on Twitter, I'm CW242, I think my handle is. Probably would have helped to know that offhand, but yeah, not, nothing to plug there. It's just I'm Coleman Mullins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. It's one of my favorite Twitter accounts. Uh, we'll, we'll have to we'll plug it again at the end. Any Big 12 fan, anyone who likes sports or just having a good time on Twitter, I can't stress enough how good of a follow this guy is. But we'll we'll dive into it. We're keeping the same format for everyone who listened to our non-con uh, episode of this. But just give me a brief summary of your fandom and how you, you know, became this West Virginia fan, this super fan, and, uh, you know, overall good guy that you turned into. Oh, well, I appreciate that last part. Um I am a born and raised mountaineer. Um, I'm actually almost 35 years old, and I've been born and raised in West Virginia, moved around in the Navy, but uh, I grew up with a, a blue and gold Christmas tree 
Um, my dad has been a season ticket holder, I believe, since before I was born. And ever since I've been growing up, we've we've been going to home games every chance we had. So um, when I was a child, it was probably a two-hour drive up to Morgantown. Now that we're adults and have moved a little bit, it's uh, about a three-and-a-half-hour drive each way. So Mountaineer games at home are a uh, full day or even a weekend pass, even for a, a homer like myself. Except for the one West Virginia game I traveled up for. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 and I forgot about that. I, I think this year may be the first year I actually get to go to a Mountaineer uh, Kansas State game. I've always seemed to have had something going on <laughs> when the K-State uh, in Morgantown game happens. So we'll, we'll try to try to make that not happen this year, and maybe I can watch us try to pull one out. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that game specifically, <laughs> but I'll also put out a call to any of the boneheads. I made that trip down to Morgantown uh, the last time we played there, and then I saw the Chiefs get their ass kicked by Pittsburgh on Sunday Night Football the very next day. So the trip doesn't hold very good memories in my heart. <laughs> but if anyone out there is looking to go – Hit me up. I'm sure I could be convinced, and uh, maybe we'll meet up and do a live pod in West Virginia. Uh, but you talked about your fandom growing up, born and bred West Virginia fan. And this next question is probably going to be more relevant to uh, once you got a little bit closer to your adult age following college football. But what has always been your perception of K-State football? Uh, well, to be perfectly honest, uh, prior to about 2012, there wasn't much of a per perception of K-State whatsoever. Um, I, I, I was a Big East guy, and of course I knew of you know Texas and Oklahoma and you know the big boys. Um, you, you were a blip on the radar there in about, uh, I think it was 2003, with a, a Marshall game, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah, so that's... <laughs> That's a horrible memory, and I've been quoted saying that's one of the worst losses I remember. And seeing that you're out in West Virginia, those uh, thundering herd fans probably were setting some couches on fire after that one. Yeah, I uh, I currently live about 15 minutes from Marshall's campus, so I'm in the heart of herd country. Um, so, and I'm in the minority when it comes to being a West Virginia fan, but. That's that's about honestly 2012 was probably when I really started paying attention as I started researching the Big 12 and finding out who who I was going to get to watch every Saturday. Um, I know uh, I think we get into it here in a little bit, but the all time records and things like that against K State is kind of interesting. But before 2012, um, I didn't know I didn't know much whatsoever about Kansas State. Yep, so uh, you, you kind of led into it. What are your memories of the recent competitions between your Mountaineers and my Wildcats? Well, uh, most recent is a little better than formerly. Um, <laughs> At least you know, for you. For me, absolutely. Uh, 16 and 17 finally decided to uh, win against Kansas State. Uh, prior to that, it was, what, three losses, I think, in a row as we joined yep. the conference. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a nice little swing in our favor, but, um, I know first thing that comes to mind would have been Jordy Nelson because I've, I've been a diehard Packers fan since I can, I can remember. Um, and so, I knew, so I knew he was a Kansas state guy. 
So we're both hurting the fact that he's at Oakland now. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah, sore subject for both of us, I'm sure. Yeah, so as a Chiefs <laughs> fan, I hate, I hate saying that. But, uh, so do you remember any – so I mentioned before we hopped on, I mentioned that in the background I have that 2012 game. Do you remember much about, you know, that first one? I was obviously so hyped up. Uh, it was you guys were ranked 13th, we were ranked 4th, and then any of the other games uh, – you know, do you remember much about the lead-up to those? Uh, lead-up, no, not so much. I, I actually wrote down the scores for every game since we've joined the conference. And it's, strangely enough, it's it's slid from one end of the spectrum to the other. So it's kind of interesting. You know, in 2012, Kansas State literally thumped us. It was 55-14. to 14, And that put a pretty bad taste in my mouth for you all to start with. Um, and then it started working a little bit better in 13, it was 35 to 12 in 14, it was 26 to 20. And then 15, it was a one point game, 24, 23. I remember that uh, one a lot better. <laughs> sadly, so do I as it was in there. And my goodness, that was, that was a frustrating collapse to watch in person. Yeah. Well, as a Mountaineer fan, we get used to frustrating collapses pretty easily. Um, but you know, 16 and 17 have gone our way. So that's, that's a little happier memories, but man, when we first met you all in 2012, that was, uh, that was a rough start to, to meet a team I hadn't seen before. Yeah, it was again. Yeah. I could only imagine because again, I was watching the lead in Gus Johnson talking about how hyped it was. I think over 60,000 people that had to be a tough one to, swallow but that was your first year in the big 12 conference i want to move in and i want to ask you are you pleased with west virginia's move to the big 12 conference were you happy about that when it happened uh when it happened uh, i can't say i was probably pleased about it um i'm certainly happy about it now after the whole basically the big east implosion so we got out ahead of that and you know lucked into a serious conference rather than being thrown to the wolves somewhere else um, I, I'd say I'm, I'm pretty happy with it in general. I mean, you got a whole lot of high-profile games, national attention, no matter how good the team is. Um, certainly, it's bringing in better recruits with all that attention. So I, I think in general, it's probably great for the university. Um, it's good for fans to see teams from the Big 12 that we play week in and week out. It's just it's always exciting. Um, when we played the Big East for a long time, uh, probably the last decade or so of it, West Virginia was, I mean, they were, they were the Texas of Big East and it was, it was hard to knock them off. So kind of got used to being the top dog there. And it, I got a little complacent with the fanhood, uh, I'll be honest, but, you know, kind of revived the, the excitement when we joined the Big 12 to see all these huge schools and huge games and, real consequences with all those games. It's uh, it's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm in general, I'm pretty happy with this, this lucked out move there. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think you guys are definitely a fit, especially in the two big uh, sports. Uh, are there any regrets at, on the West Virginia end? Maybe not you uh, specifically, but in the fan base and the administration about that move to the big 12. I, I seriously doubt that there's any regrets with the uh, administration, the money that this conference brings in. 
has got to be just making them happy year in and year out um, as West Virginia starts to make the, the full cut of those conference dividends. Um, that I'm sure they're happy with the move they made. When it comes to fandom, I can really only speak for myself, but I think you know when you check on Twitter and look at the people I follow there with um, with other West Virginia head talking heads, um, I think the only regret and the dislike that we have about it would certainly be that away games are. I mean, you gotta you gotta work to get to an away game now. Before we could go up to Pitt, you know, we could travel to Maryland if we really wanted to, Louisville, um, all those kind of places were within reach. But now you're you're playing 50 percent of your conference games in Texas, Iowa, Kansas. That's just I mean, it, most West Virginians can't do that. So no, that's probably I, the biggest thing. Yeah, I totally get that. And that brings me to the follow up question on that. Uh, what is West Virginia's dream conference? If you. Give me your answer, or if you started asking around West Virginia fans, uh, because I think we can all agree, as much as I enjoy having West Virginia in football and basketball, I think this is more of an arranged marriage than than true love. Uh, And you can correct me if I'm uh, speaking out of turn there, Uh, but what is... Oh, I certainly agree. (laughs) Well, what is the dream conference? If you could wave the magic wand, what conference would West Virginia be sitting in? Well, I think if we wave a magic wand where it's a conference that doesn't even actually exist at this point, it would be something that is is regionally acceptable, you know, a healthy, consistent regional conference where fans can go to away games, away fans can actually come to Morgantown in mass rather than one tiny little corner of the stadium. Um, I think that would be the most exciting thing to see. But if we're talking realistically, I I don't think I could be happier than seeing West Virginia in the big 12. Um, People talk a lot about West Virginia and the sec and I I just don't like the sec. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's big 12. Just, it works. I like it. Yeah. And that, that makes me happy to hear. Um, I don't know how many of your fans uh, would agree with you, but I, I, I enjoy hearing that, and I agree with you. Uh, the regionality of conferences, I, it, it's a shame that everything had to go the way it did with conference realignment. I understand. I'm a finance guy. I, you know, I, that's what my you know, academic background is in. I understand chasing the almighty dollar. But you know, when you look, and it's not just the Big 12 nowadays, if you look at how stretched out the ACC and the Pac-10, not the Pac-10, but, but the ACC and the Big Ten are. It's it's a little depressing to think back to when we had these regional conferences where you really could, you know, go to every game. Uh, but I am I am happy to hear you say that if if that's not going to exist, you like being in the Big Twelve. Absolutely, yeah. And to touch on your point, uh, I I have an accounting background myself, so I, I'm with you. I completely understand, you know. When it comes to the technology and what's going on these days when it comes to television rights and how how much cheaper travel is, I mean, West Virginia is traveling to Texas twice a week sometimes. Um, that wasn't going to happen for a cheap amount back in the 80s or the 70s. But nowadays, when it comes to you know ESPN and networks and all this revenue that it's bringing in, it just it makes sense to be 
somewhere that's going to bring you that money, whether it's regional or not. Yep, and I think I think for for the most part, unless we see some sort of you know NCAs are a breakaway, I don't see that changing anytime soon. But we'll move on from that. We'll get into a little bit more of the meat of it, talking about the Big Twelve Conference this year. Um, we've had a clean sweep of every single guest we've had come on so far. We have three for three on this answer. But who are you pegging to win the Big Twelve this year? Uh, I'd like to break up your streak, but I'm not gonna. I was hoping you might be the one to do it. So based on that and the fact that you told me you already listened to the other show, does that mean you are going on the record and saying Oklahoma wins the conference this year? Uh, I'd be hard-pressed to bet against anybody else, yeah. All right, so let's, let's spice it up a little bit. Who is going to play them in Arlington? Are you going to be a homer? Are you going to pick Oof. your West Virginia Mountaineers? <laughs> I, I would love to say I have enough confidence that I could I could pick West Virginia to play OU there. Um, you know what? I'll make them my pick. Um, but I can legitimately see two or three other teams being there as well. Um, I see. I mean, West Virginia was picked second in the preseason there behind OU, but it could be positions three, four, and five making a run into the championship game as well. It's just, it's, it's stacked in the top half of that conference, but not position six. Uh, well, that was, that was K state. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my guy, Jesus Mendoza, of the Longhorn sports network. He was, he was one of the guys who picked K state number one. Yeah. One of the two. Yeah. I saw yeah, that too. I don't know who the other one is. I'd like to be his friend, but I, I do want to say West Virginia has been my pick. If you've listened or any of the people who have been listening to the podcast for a while know how adamant I was about crushing the over on seven wins on the uh, Vegas totals. I'm big on West Virginia. I'm a big Will Greer fan. We'll talk about some players individually. Uh, but I, I I do have you guys going there, and I agree with you. I think you could see TCU uh, get in there. And then I think the dark horse to get in there is Texas. I am a big Texas is back guy. Yes, we're all Texas is back. (laughs) Are you you on that bandwagon? Are you thinking it's still another year or two out before you can say Texas is back? I think in the past five to seven years, it's been a year or two out before we could say Texas is back. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I'm I'm not on the I'm not on the bandwagon yet, but they they seem to be on the cusp of it, and just something doesn't quite go right year in and year out. Well, I'll put you down as one of the people saying Texas is not back. I'm keeping track of it, so I know <laughs> so I know who to gloat over or who to avoid at the end of the season. That's uh, right. So, who to come at on Twitter? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I I I led into this a little bit, so. Give me a guy on both sides of the ball, offense, defense, if you really want to. You can throw special teams in there as well of guys that K-State fans need to watch throughout the non-conference leading into our game. Well, since you mentioned it, um, when it comes to special teams, the thing you need to watch is how much you can destroy us because that has been severely lacking in West Virginia football for a few years. Um, There's just – we seem to have problems. I think we went – for first downs on fourth down, 75% of last year because of it, rather than kicking for a field goal, cool. just, beca- just because it was just atrocious. Um, so 
the entire special teams, yeah, pay attention to them because that's something you're going to want to take advantage of. <laughs> uh, but we can do the easy one first with the offense. I don't, I don't think I really have to name the people, but I will. Um, it's absolutely Will Greer and David Sills. Um, we can stick with Will Greer because there's the, the whole Heisman push even by the university itself. So if he's healthy, uh, yeah, you're going to want to pay attention to, to Will Greer there. Yeah, and are you buying into the Heisman hype? I, I've been, again, I was pushing him as the runaway best quarterback in the Big 12. Again, the Heisman trophy almost turns into, you know, who gets the most media, who gets the most pub. But do you think Will Greer has, uh, you know, the opportunity to get enough of that hype to bring home the trophy? Based on skill alone, I could say yes, but this is a West Virginia kid on a uh, Florida kid on a West Virginia team, and you're not going to get that hype at West Virginia um, unless they demolish the conference and and beat OU in the championship and make their way to the to the playoff, which I would absolutely love to see. Um, he could he could throw up the best numbers in the nation and still probably not quite get. The, the numbers he needs for the Heisman. It's just uh, West Virginia is one of those perennial contenders that seems to be at the bottom of that list where they haven't done anything amazing enough to get the serious hype. I mean, I, I think we're still currently the number one school in the nation in amount of wins without a national championship. Um, so he, he's, he's a good player. And if he's healthy, man, he's gonna, he's gonna take this team real far. But I, I don't think that the Heisman hype is probably going to be amounting to anything unless, unless, like I said, they go undefeated. Well, I, I enjoyed watching him last year and I'll enjoy watching his senior year and who knows, maybe see him playing in Sunday on Sundays, a couple of years from now. Uh, talk to us about the defense. And correct me if I'm wrong again, but that seems to have been, you know, the pain point in more seasons than not for West Virginia. Uh, the, you had the year that it was the lead, the leader of the team, but again, I would say 80% of the seasons that you guys have come in, it's been the offense dragging the defense. Is this year going to be any different? And who should we watch on that side of the ball? Uh, I'd be hard pressed to believe it's going to be any different this year. Um, there's, there's some freshmen coming in and, um, we're, we're, we're not all that deep on defense, but I'll tell you who you should watch out for, uh, is a linebacker named David Long. Uh, he only played nine games last year, but he had what 15 and a half tackles for loss and 75 total tackles. So that was, that's a huge brunt of what, slight defense West Virginia had last year. We were 106th out of 129 defenses. So (laughs) that's that's a bright spot in what was otherwise a dark time and has been, like you've mentioned, for for years. It's just West Virginia is not where kids are coming to play if they're looking to be a star cornerback or, you know, anything like that. It's it's, uh, especially since Rich Rod was there and Holgerson now, um, defense has not been the the calling card of this school, and it's to a huge detriment because the offense has to make up for that every game. Well, it, that always, you know, is why I enjoy watching West Virginia games because no matter what the score, it's never over. So as a neutral in 90% of your guys' games, I enjoy seeing that. But we'll move on into 
you know, the, the lead up to the big question. So first off, if K-State is going to win the matchup, what is that game going to look like? Uh, you'll have to run the ball well, um, which you can probably do. Uh, I, I think that if you if you split up enough to run and pass, that you spread our defense out, um, they they just seem to get confused, and it, it's a weakness every week. Um, and I know old your old magician there in Kansas can uh, can whip some stuff up to to confuse teams. So I think that'll be the key to it. If if Kansas State can pull it off, is that they'll have to. Uh, Balance the run and pass well. Um, I'm not even sure who you guys have named as quarterback at this point. We haven't named a quarterback. It's uh, you know, it's either Delton or Skylar Thompson. I've uh, I've been saying I want Skylar. I've gone back and forth between who I think it's going to be, uh, but I think we truly, really won't know what the quarterback position looks like until Week Two versus Mississippi State. So we'll have to wait and see what that looks like. Either one of them can run. Uh, when they need to, Skyler's a little bit better passer, have some running back. So hopefully, from my perspective, we can get some rushing yards. But tell me, and this is what I think is more likely, give me what the game looks like if West Virginia is going to make it three straight against the Purple Fighting Cats. <laughs> well, I think the, the first key is going to be seeing how healthy Will Greer is. Um, you know, we've got three non-conference games ahead of you all this year. Um Shoot right out of the box. We're playing Tennessee in North Carolina. So that'll be a nice early test to see how Will has healed. Um, if, if West Virginia is going to win, he's, he's going to have to lead it. Um, he likes to run a little bit, uh, but his arm will lead us anywhere we're going to go. So, you know, we have even an average defensive showing and a healthy Will Greer. I think, uh, I think we can handle it. All right. Um, now we've we've come to that time in the pod. I'm gonna force you to go on the record. You already put put your name on the Texas is not bad bandwagon. <laughs> so now I need you to give me a official score prediction of the K State West Virginia game. And if you're wrong, you will be ridiculed forever. So make your pick wisely. Give me a score as well. Well, Homer or not, I, I, there's no way I can't pick. West Virginia to win this game um, record or score. I, I, I wrote half a dozen different scores down. And the one that looked the best to me was somewhere like 35, 21 West Virginia. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I have a feeling West Virginia will put points up uh, from my perspective. I hope K-State can get more than 21, but I'm not going to disagree with you. Uh, everyone who's been listening knows I have this slotted as a loss for K-State as well. And I'm very high on this West Virginia team. And who I knew there was a reason I liked you, Scott. <laughs> it's not because of my very good looks and my very, uh, you know, cautioned takes on politics and everything else. Oh, it's now, absolutely uh, the political aspect. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Uh, so uh, we, we got we got you to go on the record for the score. Give me West Virginia's final record. Well, I, I know you, you said hammer the over seven. Uh, I couldn't ever hammer over seven with West Virginia because that seems to be our – sometimes it's our peak and sometimes it's, you know, seven is easy. But I'm looking this year at the schedule and – all right, I'll give you the number. Uh, I say West Virginia goes eight and four. 
Oof. Yeah. That, that that would make me sweat if I uh, if I had money on it. So I, I'm assuming based on that score, you are is that backdooring into Arlington with being six and three in the Big Twelve with a loss in the non-con, or how is that breaking out? Uh, I worked it out a couple different ways. Um, I'm honestly, for some reason, a little bit worried about uh, NC State just before you all, the week ahead of you. Um, we've got Tennessee, then Youngstown State, and NC State before Kansas State. That's and- such a tough non-conference. <laughs> I mean, what was going on with doing – so it's Tennessee at the racetrack, right? Yes, yeah. So so that – and that will be a fun spectacle. But then also NC State in the same year, what's going – what was the thought process? And that's at NC State. So you're playing two games in, in North Carolina, Carolina before you play two games in West Virginia. That's correct. Woo. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, gosh. Now, now you know why I miss the Big East, where we could actually travel to games. <laughs> yeah. And is North Carolina tra- – are both those games going to be uh, good travel for you guys? Um, not for me personally. I just don't have the time to be doing that right now. But South Carolina is like West Virginia South. Um, you go to you go to North Carolina, South Carolina, Myrtle Beach is considered like West Virginia vacation mecca for some reason. So, so that's like Iowa fans. State with Kansas City. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could possibly be a home game for West Virginia when it comes to fans. Um, we notoriously travel extremely well. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's some, some tough, tough competition just before playing you all for the first conference game. So I think that, I think that is somewhere there. We, we, we drop something and lose one of those first three possibly. Um, but you know, the, the conference itself, the end of our, Conference schedule is Texas, TCU, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. So, yeah, that's a it's that's a bloodbath to end it. I, I will say this for the for the, any West Virginian listening to this: if you could somehow get to the point where you are still alive with maybe only one or no losses going into that gauntlet, you'll have plenty of look at me moments if you are going to allow yourself to dream a little bit about something bigger than just playing in Arlington. Um, I will ask you to go on the record. What do you have K-State finishing at this year? I can see you all going seven and five. Um, Much more than that. I I, I took a couple looks at the schedule. Um, I mean, just like us, it's, it's, it's a rough conference. And I don't remember off the top of my head who all you have for your non-con. Um, so all three at home, it is South Dakota, then Mississippi State, then UTSA. So it's really that game versus Klinga Klinga that's that's going to come down to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot as I listened to the first podcast. You know, the Mississippi State they're they're just always a thorn in somebody's side. Um, we played yeah. them in the non-conference for years recently, and it's it's been rough uh, back and forth. So good luck with that one. Yeah, thanks. I, uh, you know, I again, I've been saying seven and five, so I think we're on the same page. Um, that Mississippi State game, I tell you what, the closer we get to football season, the more I'm zeroing in on that one. Um, and yeah, that's those are all the questions that I have for you. Uh, I'll say if you run into Bob Huggins, let him know that I still love him, and I, uh, I, I thank him for resurrecting K State basketball. 
Uh, before we sign off, is there anything else you want to plug? Give everyone your Twitter uh, handle at least, because if I can't stress anything enough, it is following you. It's a good time during college football season. It's a good time during the NFL, uh, and you're just overall great, even-killed guy, and you don't get enough of that on Twitter. So give everyone your handle. Everyone, go follow my man. Uh, my Twitter handle is at CW242, C-D-U-B-Y-A-242. Um, yeah, it's like the letters CW spread out because I wanted to be cool. And that is very cool. Uh, thank <laughs> you again for coming on. Uh, maybe I can convince someone to fly into Pittsburgh and then drive down to Morgantown. Uh, if that happens, I hope you can make it so we can hang out. And uh, you can get me some good West Virginia moonshine down in the tailgate lots. <laughs> oh, man, we absolutely need to hang out. <laughs> yes, I know. We'll, we'll make it happen. Thanks again. Uh, and then, everyone, stay tuned because we still got uh, we got some more Big 12 schools to talk to. Thanks again for coming on with us. Thanks for having me, man. Robertson, the fullback. He's going to throw, though. The ball is intercepted. Pick six coming. Welcome back, everyone, to part two of the episode two of the Opposing Team series. We just finished up with West Virginia, which means it's time to talk about one of my favorite teams to play. And we have another special guest with us. Will, welcome to the Bosco's Boys podcast. Thanks for coming on. Tell us about yourself and tell us who you're representing. Bosco Boys. Uh, yeah, as you all know, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. Uh, you can find my, my writings and my musings at thefootballbrainiacs.com, uh, the texas.thefootballbrainiacs.com. That's where you can find writing. And then my podcast is on the Hornscast network. It's called Fourth and Five. So just search up Hornscast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you guys can find your podcasts. You'll find Fourth and Five. So, yeah, that's that's me, man. Been, uh, Perfect. Is, is, is that all y'all want to know? Is that it? Are we good? All right. Uh, I'm signing off. We're gonna, uh, <laughs> Thanks that, for coming on, Will. Thanks. That, that was the best interview we've had yet. Um, but no, really, uh, give us a brief summary of how you became a UT fan, and then after that, how you got into covering Texas football and athletics. All right. Um, <clears throat> I uh, kind of was born into it. You know, they these schools, they kind of indoctrinate you into doing it, right? My dad went to UT. My mom went to UT. Uh, they had me. Uh, took me to games starting when I was like two years old. Yeah, I was that baby with the headphones on, right? And you're like, what are they doing with that kid? Uh, indoctrinating him is what they're doing. Kind of like a cult, except not A&M. And uh, <laughs> then uh, I, you know, I kind of grew up watching football and really understand the game, playing all sorts of games, watching football for fun. Uh, so I kind of got a, a good understanding of the game and, and, you know, playing it myself as well. So through high school, I was a huge football nerd. And then going to college, I kind of was just a fan. And I went to St. Louis, Washington University in St. Louis, and just was uh, – there's nobody to talk Texas football much up in St. Louis, Missouri. So started a uh, little website called a uh, subreddit called Longhorn Nation on Reddit, uh, which is where you guys found me. And uh, so I could talk some football with some guys and people liked what I wrote. People liked how I ran it. So they asked me to do podcasts, did podcasts. Then uh, USA Today picked me up and then I dropped USA Today. 
today and went to thefootballbrainiacs.com to uh, cover Texas and recruiting. I actually wasn't a huge recruiter, uh, recruiting fan uh, before, you know, like my senior year of college. And then all of a sudden I was like, wow, I really kind of get this. So got into recruiting, got into basketball, got into football. Uh, I've always known baseball. So just kind of came to me and here I am, man, covering Texas for fun. Sounds similar to how both of us are RK State fans, you know, kind of born into it, indoctrinated into the, the cult, if you will. So our two teams have somewhat of a an in, interesting history against each other in terms of, you know, record. And are we kind of a thorn in your, side, in your side? What's, what's your perspective of K-State football? Uh, death. <laughs> it's just – it's just – it's incredible – the uh, amount of dominance that Kansas State has against Texas. Uh, it's true in every sense of the world that Kansas State is Texas's purple kryptonite. That there's just some something weird in the air of, of Manhattan, something that the Purple Wizard does every time they play Texas that just gives Kansas State some sort of an edge against Texas despite the obvious talent gap between the two teams. Despite the resource that these two teams have had, uh, it's just something about the way Kansas State plays football against Texas or the way that Texas plays Kansas State that makes it so that it's just never a, a easy win or ever a win against Kansas State, especially in Manhattan. I think I saw the last seven games, Texas is 1-6 against Kansas State, uh, and you, and in Manhattan. So, yeah, that is really interesting. What's about that is, I think Texas's last win in Manhattan was in 2002, and 2002 and 2003 we couldn't beat Texas with some of our most talented teams, and then we turn around and go and beat Texas back to back in 06 and 07 with Ron Prince to like absolute scrub teams. Yeah, so you can't even blame it it's, just on Bill. It's Snyder, not all the Wizards. Ron Prince. Yeah, Ron Prince owned the hell out of you guys as well. Yeah, no, it's just something in the water in Manhattan that makes Texas fall asleep, man. Uh, I think they need to start checking y'all's water jugs before the game and put in some put in some, some coding in there or something. Some of Mike's secret stuff from Space Jam. Probably. Exactly, but it's it's the opposite. I don't, I don't know what it is, man. It's crazy. <laughs> so so we've danced around what your perspective of K State football is. Are there any specific memories or moments from previous matchups between the Longhorns and the Wildcats and what I call the Chisholm Trail rivalry? Uh, is there anything that sticks out to you from some of those past games? Maybe one of the most frustrating times I've ever had watching Texas uh, was it was it was 2016 Texas in Manhattan. Uh, under Charlie Strong, it was it was about the time when I found out you know Texas is is not going to be sticking with Charlie Strong for much longer because uh, that game just was one of the most hair pulling out frustrating games for Texas where Texas could have won if they had done a few things right but just the coaching just held them back and stopped Texas from actually pulling out a win in Kansas State which would have been tremendous for Texas especially that year that they lost to Kansas. So uh, it's it was just that might be one of the crowning moments of this of the series, the games between Texas and Kansas State, 
is that 2016 game where just incredibly frustrating for Texas fans to watch it. And just you're going to that and you have a hope, a sliver of hope that you might win. However, due to coaching and due to just getting out hustled, Texas wasted away. I do want to bring up one other what I would assume would be just a very frustrating game for Texas. Do you have any memories of the 2010 game, which was the birth of Colin Klein and the legend of Colin Klein, where K-State only passed the ball, I believe, three times all game and just really you know, ran up the score? Is that another one that brings back bad memories of Manhattan? Honestly, you want to know the truth? I was not even in the United States for the 2010 season, which turned out to be a blessing as that was the season where Mac Brown started to fall apart. So uh, I, I actually don't remember that one, but it sounds it sounds familiar nonetheless. Well, and you guys have had a little bit uh, more recent success in Austin over the last handful of meetings there. So uh, Define success. Your... Yeah, one last year. We're starting so to trade now. Yeah, it, it is starting to trade back and forth home in a way. So uh, we'll get to the predictions later in the pod. So we'll see if you're finally going to – you know, pull Babe Ruth and call your shot for uh, Texas and Manhattan. But but we'll, we'll wait. We'll we'll get there in a bit. All right. All right. Will, you mentioned falling apart. It's no surprise to anyone that things haven't gone somewhat downhill for Texas since 09. Why has it been so long since Texas has, quote unquote, been back? And is this the year that they're finally back? Well, isn't that the uh, the meme of the century, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> is Texas back? But, uh you know, it, it's hard to tell. There's there's a reason why USA Today has Texas as the seventh team or the sixth team in the Big 12, and uh, 24-7 has them as the second. There is so much that could go right with this team, and there's so much that can go wrong with this team. If everything goes right, if they find a kicker, if their offensive line uh, improves just to become an average offensive line, if Sam Ellinger stops making stupid mistakes, if – their defensive line holds, their defensive backs uh, are somewhat, they don't let up the big plays like they did last year against Oklahoma uh, and Maryland and all those games that they could have won and should have won, then Texas can turn the seasons that are middle of the pack into nine-plus win seasons because they have been just, two points away from wins against big teams. They could have beat Oklahoma last year if they had a kicker. They could have beat Oklahoma State last year if they had any sort of an offensive line and a kicker. They could have beat Maryland if their defensive backs held up and Todd Orlando put his system in quicker. It's just things have sort of not really worked out for the Longhorns, and if they do come together, then Texas could very well become a Big 12 contender. However, it's just how much do you believe that's going to happen? Uh, the betting man would say probably not. So that's what the deal is with Texas, whether it's a boom or bust this year. And, I, you know, honestly, I can't say Texas is going to be back or they're not going to be back because this quarterback room looks a lot better. The wide receiving room looks phenomenal. The offensive line has a key piece in Calvin Anderson. If he stays healthy, then they have the depth and just enough to be an average offensive line. The defense is returning a lot of guys who have a lot of experience. Yeah, they lost Malik Jefferson. Yeah, they lost Deshaun Elliott. And yeah, they lost Puna Ford. 
However, of those guys, and Holton Hill, but of those guys, Puna Ford is one that's going to hurt most, and the defensive line seems to be a strength of this team. So, I, you know, it's just, can it be good or can it be bad? I have no idea. It's a toss-up at this point, uh, and I don't know if we're going to find out until game 10 of the season, man. Well, as a uh, drum beater for Texas is back, I wish you were a little more confident, <laughs> but I'm, I'll take what I can get. Um, something I wanted to touch on just real quick, and this is something that uh, as someone who was a long time, I remember the Big 8, let alone the formation of the Big 12, and I miss the old Big 12. Uh, oh. Something that I'm curious of, would you personally, if you could you know, make the call, would you play Texas A&M in football again? Oh, definitely. And Going back to, to beating the drum real fast is, uh, you know, I do want, I do think Texas has the potential to become a very good team. However, I think they've had that potential for so many years and just things, one thing has led to another. Offensive line has not worked out. Quarterback issues have been working out. Depth issues, uh, you know, defense issues. There's just something different every year that happens that you just don't see in the preseason that makes it, everything fall apart. That's why I'm not going to say I think they're going to do well until I actually see it. Going back to the A&M stuff, hell yeah, I want to play A&M. Screw all this Twitter <laughs> bullshit. This is stupid. I hate I hate the Twitter rivalries, the uh, the stupid uh, pay site rivalries and wars over Twitter. Uh, you know, t- Tim Brewster going from Texas to Texas A&M and all of a sudden becoming a huge thorn on our side. Uh, and just all the trash talk that happens... These players, a lot of them don't, don't like each other. Some, yeah, they create friendships when they go to these events like the opening or the rivals camps or whatever. But some of them, they're like, oh, I don't like you. You're, you're in Oklahoma or you're an Aggie. I shouldn't like you. I shouldn't even talk to you. Uh, you know, sometimes that happens. And so there's a lot of bad blood uh, beyond there. And there's also good friendships. But you want to see these two teams play. You definitely want to. I think it's stupid that they don't. And honestly, I think it, it's better for the state if they do play. Uh, it stops. However, I under I also understand that the, uh, you know, not playing each other, uh, because a lot of it is right now the, these teams playing up on a narrative that hey, you know, Texas is still better than Texas A&M, and Texas A&M saying hey, we're no longer the un- the little brother. And if Texas goes and says if they play each other and Texas loses, then A&M gets to hold that over Texas's head, and it hurts Texas on the recruiting trail. It hurts Texas's pocketbooks and. Same thing for Texas A&M. If Texas beats Texas A&M, they can say, hey, look, you're still the little brother, and Texas A&M's recruiting hurts, especially when they need to win in the SEC, and they're paying Jimbo Fisher $75 million to do so. Uh, it's it's a little bit of a, a tricky balance to play right now, and uh, with neither team being, uh, you know, wanting to really show the other what they have on the field because neither team is too uh, impressed with themselves, <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to be seeing it in a while. But I think it needs to happen for sure. Fair enough. And just real quick, are you in the minority or majority of Texas fans with the opinion you just laid out with us? <sighs> That's a difficult question, man, because there's all those fans out there who are like, ah, screw a we don't need them anymore, you know. We'll fight them on the Twitters. And there's the other fans who are, you know, a little less uh, angry about how everything went down and – there's fans who think of it as, hey, we don't need to, we don't need to play them anymore, and why would we play them? It only hurts ourselves, or you know, it, it's just there's a whole slew of problems, man. It's just like 
I don't want to compare it to long-standing issues like Israel versus Palestine, but it, it sort of feels like it has that much bad blood and that much murky water around it where it's like, okay, there's no real right answer or wrong answer, but, I mean, there is one that feels right. So and it feels right to whoever is you know different people it's just a it's just a weird sensation now that they have gone because these two teams have been playing for what 113 years you never even thought they would never play each other so uh it's just it's it's a it's a weird phenomenon and i i can't say whether they're i think i think most fans want to play texas a&m because it's just such a great game it's an iconic game and yeah. You know, I, I think most Texas fans would agree that Oklahoma is the real rival, and Texas A&M is kind of it's is the little brother. They they are the team that you know it's it's they're the second rivalry. Oklahoma is the one. If you win, it's a great year. If you don't, it's eh, it's a bad year. I then, hope uh, that K State and Texas always play because I would be distraught if we lost our little brother. <sighs> Wow, I set myself up for that one, didn't I? <laughs> I'm with you, though, Will. I mean, as an objective observer with no dog in the fight, absolutely you guys should be playing A&M every year. It's good for college football. But let's move on. We're going to put put you through uh, the ringer with some predictions here, starting with um, who is going to be contending for that uh, game in Arlington? Who ultimately is going to be there? How do you think the conference is going to shake out? Well, it depends. There's... Another reason Texas was sixth in one poll or seventh in one poll and second in another is because nobody knows what's going on in the middle of the Big 12. Uh, it's just like it's the same thing in basketball, right? It's it's no, it's no, like 12 or 10 through 1. It's nobody knows what's happening, blah, 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 Kansas. Uh, it's mm-hmm. In the Big 12 this year, it's nobody knows what's happening, Oklahoma, uh, because Oklahoma is returning everybody except for their quarterback and their left tackle. It, it's just – I think West Virginia has the best shot because of the returning of Will Greer and Sims or Sills and the rest of their offense. I just does their defense come to play? Kansas State has a good, uh, you know, they won eight games last year and, and they had a terrible middle of the season. I think y'all have a great claim to potentially be there. Uh, it's just you need you need to figure out something on offense and defense as well. Although I think Reiser Reisner is Reisner. Is I saying that wrong? It is is uh, honestly one of the best offensive linemen, and you need that to be a good contending team. Uh, I think Texas has a shot at it. I, I think they definitely do if everything goes right. They have the talent. They have the coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball uh, the, to make a claim for it. Is TCU as well? Um, they have such a good defense this year. I might have to go with either TCU or West Virginia this year because TCU just figures out how to do stuff all the time. And then West Virginia, I think their offense is going to be too potent in, in a league or a conference that's just all about the offense. So what? what is the official 100% on the record, Bosco's voice, you can't back out from it? <laughs> Oklahoma and West hey, Virginia. For- and then who wins that game? Uh, neither has a good defense, man. I, I'd say I'd say West Virginia. They outscore. They outscore them. And I and I'm very happy we have our first prediction for someone other than OU in our series. And I can't uh, pick them in good in good conscience. I can't pick them. No. 
That that's perfect, and it makes perfect sense. That's coming Respect. from the Texas guy. Uh, real quick, uh, give us just one guy to watch on offense, one guy to watch on defense of Texas leading into the uh, our matchup, and then to watch throughout rest of the season. One guy to watch for Texas on offense. Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to give you three: Little Jordan Humphrey, Sam Ellinger, and uh, Calvin Anderson. All for three different reasons. Calvin Anderson, if he's good, then watch out. The offensive line is back. Uh, little Jordan Humphrey is basically Texas's offense. He's going to play, be playing halfback, squ- uh, slot, outside wide receiver, running back, and he's going to be Texas's by far their most potent offensive weapon. And then Sam Ellinger, because he's the quarterback, you, you always have to watch that guy and, and see how he does and. I think he has the potential to do very well or be just another name that went through the quarterback halls of Texas. Defense. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have to watch Brecken Hager, man. That guy is just so much fun to watch as a football player just because he is legitimately, I think, a crazy person. Uh, he is – he call him a freak. He's been on multiple freak lists. He has such great athleticism. He is the son of Britt Hager who is a long – legend that dude loves texas he loves to talk trash he loves to talk it up and just in general uh that dude he has so many moments in his career just like i lo- you love him if he's on your team you love him uh so i think he's a guy to watch another one to watch on defense is chris boyd who's your cornerback and he's a guy taken up for holton hill uh if he does well then i think texas secondary is in good hands however he does have trouble with his eye discipline so he let up a few big plays, like the one that put Oklahoma ahead in the Red River shootout uh, to win. Uh, that was his fault. And it's stuff like that that has kept Texas behind in their defensive secondary. So uh, I'm interested to see how he does because he usually takes three uh, or four games off the season. Well, hopefully one of those games he takes off is Versailles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Will. So you haven't won Manhattan since 2002. Why is this the year that you're going to reverse the trend and walk out of Manhattan with a win? Well, that's tough, man. I think Kansas State is a running team, right? Texas's defense is going to be really about stopping the run. Uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be difficult with, with Delton. He's a lot more dynamic runner than mostly they have at Kansas State, but uh, I think Texas is going to really lock the box up. Uh, They have great containment. They're going to use their running backs to force the inside out and then force them into Omenahu, who's on one side, and Hager, who's on the other. Uh, It's going to be very difficult for Kansas to get a run game. That's what would happen. And then Texas has some sort of an offense that can punish uh, a defense uh, just – just in general, uh, in Kansas State, I, I last year it's it sort of uh, the the philosophy Snyder likes to go with is is a bend don't break. He's like one of the original guys to do that. Uh, so it, it's interesting. I think if Texas can get their run game going, then they win. Because uh, they, they'll they'll pass all over uh, because of the wide receiver talent is just so much superior than uh what they have across from them although kansas state has a good defensive back uh i forget his name at the moment but i I know they do he's a guy who 
It was a preseason All-American or preseason All-Big 12. So, yeah, depending on which list, it's either Kendall Adams, the safety, or Duke Shelley, the corner. Uh, different publications have had both of them first team All-Big 12. Yeah, but I, I trust me when I say I think Texas might have the second, behind West Virginia, the second best wide receiving core uh, in the Big 12. Uh, maybe with Oklahoma and, and Texas fighting it out behind West Virginia this year uh, because Sills is just a beast. So uh, in the end zone, he is. Uh, so it, it, it'll be interesting um, to see, but I think that's what, if Texas can kick a field goal, they kick a field, they can kick field goals, uh, they can block for more than two seconds, and they stop the run. That's how Texas wins in Kansas State. All right, so that's how they win Give us just a quick blueprint of what it might look like if the game goes the way it has in Manhattan every meeting since 2002 in K-State wins. So what would that look like from your guys' perspective if it happens? You can't run the ball. Kansas State realizes that, and they go into prevent, basically. And you can't pass the ball, and you can't run the ball. That's no offense. That's what's happened. Uh, That's what happened in 2016. That's what happened in 2014. That's what happened uh, in 2012 and uh, it's just – it's a never-ending cycle of, okay, try to run on us. You can't. So that's what's going to happen for Texas uh, if they lose – if they're going to lose this game. And then, you know, Kansas just finds a way to, to grind down the defense uh, through running the ball. And Delton is a lot – as I said, a lot more dynamic of a runner as a quarterback. And Texas has a lot of trouble with dynamic running quarterbacks and, uh, you know – Usually, usually white dynamic running quarterbacks are Texas's kryptonite, uh, as we saw in BYU year after year. But Kansas State has, has really kind of been the other team with the dynamic running white quarterback. So uh, this year it's Delton. So maybe it's different, but I don't think so. Well, I think our starter is going to be Skyler, who is indeed white <laughs> and can run for sure. So hopefully he he puts on a running show against you guys again. Now we're gonna. I also, oh, go ahead, Scott. Well, real, real quick, I, I have to say, KU must have really given you PTSD <laughs> because you keep mentioning Kansas. Do I? Do I? Uh, so, yeah, so they must have really given you PTSD after they won <laughs> versus you guys in Lawrence to put Charlie Strong out of his misery. Oh, yeah. And I feel bad because I would hate to have that hanging over my head every time I log on to the and that, that might be the worst <laughs> loss in Texas's program history, honestly. That's that, – well, and it, it, it's understandable that you might have PTSD yeah, from yeah. that. Just Texas doesn't do well with Kansas State schools. So, uh, in basketball or football. Well, I enjoyed it. Or in baseball. Anyways, <laughs> on the record, we're going to put you officially on the record for a, a couple more predictions, just real right. quick. Number one, score prediction for our game. Uh, let's go with like 27 or 28 to 21 Texas. Okay. Number two, final record for Texas this season. Uh, I think they are nine and four. And number three, final record at K-State. Let's see. Let me, let me actually go through their schedule. So I, I feel like, okay, it's <laughs> one against South Dakota, one and one against Mississippi State. Two and one versus UTSA, West Virginia. Two and two, Texas. I, I, I just said it. Two and three, Baylor. Three and three, <sighs> Oklahoma State. Four and three, 
Oklahoma, uh, four and four. TCU, damn it. Four and five. Uh, Kansas wow. Tech. Absolutely. And Iowa it. State. You're eight. I think you're going to win nine games this year. Eight or nine. Whoa, how'd you get because because your last because your last three games your last three games are Kansas, Texas Tech, and Iowa State. Although Iowa State is actually really darn good, but I think Kansas State I think Kansas State can can. Although it is at Iowa State, it is a night game. No, we always beat them. We always always ten in a row. Must be eleven. So yeah, that that's my thing. Is I I think you're eight and four in the season, which is not a bad season. It's kind of it's kind of like uh, the the. The Snyder baseline right there, and and you know considering y'all's history, that's kind of like a that's that's like a great season. Eight and four is better than what most people have been saying. Myself included. Uh, Will, thanks for coming on with us one last time. Run everyone through the gauntlet of where they can find you, where they can listen to you, where they can read you. Uh, just give it to us one more. Well, time. you guys find my Longhorn Nation already. You guys can find my writings on TexasFootballBrainiacs.com, TheFootballBrainiacs.com. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R at the Blazer. And you guys who listen to me and my co-host, uh, Joe Cook, on 4th and 5, that's our podcast, on the Hornscast channel. That's the Hornscast channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. Wherever you guys can find a podcast, you will find the Hornscast. That's where you guys can find me. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. If you find yourself in Manhattan at come game time, Look us up, reach out to us. Everyone, go give them a follow. And uh, stay tuned for our uh, fan series continuing with Bay. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, man. All right, we're on to our third and final interview, except we're not because – we found a Baylor guy, and we didn't really like what we saw from them, and I think that's kind of consistent with the university. Scott, tell us tell us what happened. Yep, yeah, so uh, as you guys know who you, you've been following, this would have been our sixth fan interview uh, for our season preview. We got about halfway through, and if you guys have been uh, – if you listen to the first episode and the first two interviews of this episode, I think you noticed we follow pretty – uh, rigid uh, template is what you'd call it. But in the middle, we have a little question that we've varied and we've, you know, altered it team by team. Um, during that question, it became quite evident that uh, this Baylor fan, uh, f- for lack of a better word, was uh, still a very pro Art Bryles guy. He uh, we asked a question about the rebuild after that. He started talking about how, uh, you know, every the media was unfair to Baylor, that this type of stuff happens everywhere, and how everyone was out to get Baylor. There was some sort of conspiracy against Baylor because they're not one of the big boys, and this was all done to put Baylor down. Um, we, we kind of muddled through the rest of the interview, and then after I looked at this, uh, excuse me, this guy's social media, the blog and podcast that he's associated with, it became quite evident uh, that he's part of the shockingly high percentage of Baylor fans who uh, show no remorse, uh, don't think anything bad happened at Baylor. Uh, just well, this weird fake remorse, at least. Yeah. Well, he didn't show any. Um, and not only that, but this weird conspiracy theory of the internet that uh, – I didn't even know existed until recently that they really, there's a much bigger group of Baylor fans that thought that this was, this has all been done 
basically by the college football elite to put them down. And we're not we're not going to mention this guy. We're not going to mention his blog, Twitter account, his podcast. We're not going to ever give that type of publicity to a person like that. Uh, and we apologize because you know we really wanted to you know have this fan series and we thought it was going to be fun, but it took a dark turn and that that's not what we're ever going to be about. We're never going to promote people like that and let them give shout outs on our airwaves and our podcast. So um, that's where I stand. Grant, do you have any other words before we close up this episode of Bosco's voice? First of all, I kind of wish when, once, you know, we got halfway through that interview and we realized who this guy was, I kind of wish we could have kept the interview and just kind of would have grilled him and posted it anyways, put him on blast. But we decided to get rid of it. Didn't want to give him any publicity. And I do agree with that, but it would have been fun to put him on blast. And to be honest, I didn't want anything to do with Baylor in the first place. And, you know, they've just confirmed my continued contempt for them as a fan base and as a program. I've seen, as you mentioned, an alarming amount of like whataboutism from Baylor fans trying to minimize the situation in the last few days on Twitter. Uh, it's pretty disturbing. And, I mean, my position is if you're not 100% condemnation and acknowledgement of the wrongdoing from a Baylor perspective, then you're kind of a piece of shit. And I wish the conference would have parted by Baylor when it happened and looked to replace it immediately. That's That's my take. Yep, uh, I agree with you. Um, I think moving forward, uh, as this podcast grows and evolves, I I don't think I'm ever going to even attempt to bring on anyone associated with that school or that athletic uh, department, uh, anything about their program. Um, I think just for the – I just think as a podcast uh, that we don't want to associate with that. I apologize for kind of pushing to – attempt to bring on a Baylor fan. That was my call because you're correct. You didn't, you wanted to skip them altogether. I pushed to get this guy on because I didn't do enough of my research on him uh, before we brought him on. Uh, moving forward, we won't make that mistake. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we are going to come back next week, continue on the fan series with, uh, you know, the second third of the big 12 season. Um, if you haven't already, be sure to do everything you can to enter our contest. The description of the contest is on on the description page. It's also going to be on Twitter. Uh, pl- please do it. It's going to be fun. Again, your choice of tank tops, tickets, or koozies. Uh, Grant, uh, I've had a fun time outside of this one interview. I, hopefully everything else goes better. Thankfully, rest of the member institutions are not as horrible as Baylor. Um, do you have anything else to say to the Boneheads before we sign off for another week? Just get yourself in that into that uh, contest type of thing, if you will. We got some sexy swag, and we got a cup. We got some tickets that you know you don't want to miss out on. Um, sorry to send a, sorry to end on such a kind of a downer, sour note. But hey, we're a month and a half away from football. We're getting there. We're so close. I can I can smell the the dogs and the burgers. Well, perfect. Uh, We love you guys, uh, and that's all I got. All right. Signing off. Meet me at the Cathead.
day I missed my workout, but it worked out Now I'm missing work now, but it worked out Had to buy a crib for up on my first house Had my first kid, I love how she turned out I love how she turned up, even if I'm burnt out I'ma have so many seeds, I could have a bird house I'ma love on a mama, I hope it work out I hope it work out Luckily, my ex ugly I don't eat, so she can't get no lunch with me I don't reach, so she can't get in touch with me Can't be buds with me, don't know what to be She gon' cuss at me Told her give it a rest, so I keep custody Keep it all side eyes and side hugs with me I know that my girl's trust is a luxury I don't want my next album sounding all ushery But I must confess, I must confess For every single ex, I want the best I really wish you nothing but success I know it's gonna work out Doesn't it get dark Right before the sun peaks And bears his face And doesn't it get So hard to breathe But it's gonna work out It's gonna work out With nothing left to give Sets the record straight But it's gonna work out That shit might hurt now But I'm with her now Don't need closure now Just keep the shirt now Sorry you were led to believe Bunch of different stories that was never to be No, you isn't ugly, I just said it to be Funny, we both know that you look better than me Sorry I started running when you ran into me I'm just trying to be the kind of man I'ma be And I'm getting better, gotta hand it to me See, no, how it work out when you hand it to me I missed my workout, but it worked out Now I'm missing work now, but it worked out Had to buy a crib for up on my first house Had my first kid, I love how she turned out I love how she turned out She turned out, I love how she turned up, even if I'm burnt out. I'ma have so many seeds, I could have a bird house. I'ma love on a mama, I hope it work out. I hope it work out. Sports Social Podcast Network.